Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, it's another, you know, just hectic beginning of the week, but all in good fun. How's everything in your world today? It's nuts, but you know, what else is new? <laughs> right, right. You know, what's new is that it's towards the end of the summer now and kids are getting ready to go back to school. And I was had the pleasure of doing Meet the Teacher today, which is always an exciting time. I mean, I guess it's one of those like, have you ever had to do Meet the Teacher and you've been like, I don't know how this year's going to go. <laughs> or it's usually pretty structured and polished and, you know. So out here, so again, being in Katy, it's pretty structured. And aside from just meeting the teacher and trying to analyze the character of the teacher and how well she's going to do or he's going to do with the children. It was pretty structured. You walk in, you know, you got all your supplies in this big bag and you put it in the little cubby holes. It was, you know, not the result. My daughter and my wife and I were in there for about 15 minutes, just meet, greet, ask a few questions. And of course they got it all looking nice. And yeah, you're in, you're sign in, whatever. And within 15, 20 minutes, you're out the door and and of course, all the kids are seeing each other after hadn't not seen each other for a couple months. So it was pretty well done. I don't remember doing Meet the Teacher when I was growing up, though. I don't know if it's an American thing or. No, I mean, I think it's just a new thing. Like we never had that with my parent. I think they would have a parent teacher night, but it was usually yeah. like later in the semester where like the teacher made you do something that they could show to your parents. And then they do some like one on one stuff or whatever. Yeah. But it was never like before class started all that kind of thing yeah no i don't recall unless i followed suit with the rest of my you know upbringing of skipping classes i might have skipped meet the teacher too who knows (laughs) (laughs) no just completely kidding but anyway so no it's exciting and you know again coming leading into fall i mean i know you're on countdown for october matt how are the astros doing they're doing well. You know, Lance McCullers is back. He threw a great six innings on Saturday. So that was super exciting. Yeah. I mean, it just, they need to get hot at the right time. So they're doing well now, but October's when it, it's going to matter, you know? That's so it. I'm excited. I'm also superstitious enough. I want to be careful not to make too many plans, <laughs> any assumptions, but like, right. I'm thinking about it. Cool. It's fun times. I was telling my wife, it's I'm starting to get the itch for a little cooler weather and some holiday spirits. So I think I'm slowly, I don't know if it's my biological clock or what, but I'm looking forward to fall and all the good stuff that comes with it. But with that said, Matt, I think a good conversation for today. And, and you know, as the industry and, and drilling activity is is continues to be hot and heavy, new people coming in, some that haven't been in for a while are still coming back. You know, HS and E, you know, also known as health, safety, and environment just always needs to be at the utmost important and it needs to be the North star. Cause if you go to work and you know, it's, it's all about getting home to your family and loved ones. And so I think just having sort of a review of principles and again, not diving deep into anything specific, but just kind of reviewing some key components of the HSNE framework within drilling fluids, I think would be a good topic for today. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like there's part of this where people harp on it. You sort of roll your eyes. I heard this all before. But I think there's a few things we could kick around, especially from a fluids perspective. And, you know, if you're experienced, this is, these are probably things to look out for with the new guys. 
as well as kind of hold yourself accountable because I mean, we're looking out for each other just as much as we're responsible for our own safety. And, you know, these up cycles, look, it's great. It feels good when everybody's back to work and busy, but it also means that you have people who don't know what they're doing and are learning. And if we're conscious of that, we could protect them from any extra risk and help keep them safe. Yeah, no, that's true. And so Matt, on the notes here, we've got three main sort of highlights at the beginning, and I, which I actually really think is cool, but they're principles. And, and if you could describe them or, or list them, I think that it's a good way to kick it off. So the first one I'd list is just protect people from exposure. So this is could be fumes, it could be chemicals, it could be, you know, H2S, like things you could be exposed to on location, right? Now, granted, they can hurt you, but you know, jumping to the second one, protect people from injury. This is where, you know, just the ways you can get hurt on a rig that don't involve chemicals or fumes or anything like that, the physical dangers. And I mean, I always go back, there's a meme out there where it has like a bunch of different, it has like a rock and a wrench and it's like, you know, tools in the oil field and every single one of them is labeled as a hammer, <laughs> and, you know, and yeah. it's like, you laugh because we've all seen it, right? Yeah. But we also know how some of that can go sideways. And then the last one tying into environment is just protect the environment. I think there's a lot of things in the drilling fluids world because it's fluids, things that can spill, things that can leak. There's chemicals involved where we can be, you know, leaders as far as protecting the environment at the rig site and just taking some initiative. And, you know, a lot of that stuff saves a lot of money too. It's not just that we don't spill something on the ground. It's that we don't waste things. You know, there's a lot of benefits. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think it's a great way to kind of sum it up. It's, you know, protect people from exposure, people from injury and protect the environment, you know, and obviously it gets into a little more details beyond that, but let's pivot into JSAs and checklists. So that's, you know, that's something that was adopted. I mean, quite a long time ago, everyone's done them. And I've seen JSAs, you know, get filled out and sort of executed on, the right way. And then I've seen it, you know, and, and not the right way. It makes a big difference. It's kind of like what you put into it is what you can get out of it or, you know, how much effort you put into it can ultimately, you know, on, on a very serious level, save someone's life, or it can prevent a small spill from happening, all of which are not okay. So Matt, how would you kind of go through and cover the JSA and checklist? Well, I mean, checklist, you know, we have right off the bat, we have checklists we go through at the rig site, you know, our mud engineers, and that's to make sure that everything is safe, that everything's set up properly, that the emergency, you know, protocols are in place so that not only can we prevent something, but we could prevent something from getting worse because we get the right people involved if something did come up. So making sure that stuff is all staged, first aid kit, all that good stuff, where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. And I think, you know, the JSA or job safety analysis, I mean, like you said, what you put into it is what you get out of it in as much as, you know, doing that with the people that where you're going to be working on a task, what could go wrong? What are we going to do to keep it from going wrong? And we can go step by step to make sure we don't forget something. You know, I'll admit, so like I changed my own oil in my car and there's a very long story as to why I do that take that Hyundai service department, <laughs> but I have a checklist. And part of it is that like an oil change is a relatively inexpensive thing to do. And you can save some money unless you like forget to put the oil, new oil in and start your engine and seize it up. Right. Like yeah. there's ways that could go South really fast. If you're getting underneath a vehicle, you know, I had a friend who we were working on it. This was in high school. He was, we were working on his Corvette and 
he bought a used, you know, fiberglass 78 Stingray, you know, and didn't have the engine in it, but it had wheels in the back and it rolled off the jack stands and he was holding the car over his body yelling for help. Thankfully he was okay and everything, but it's just like, these things can go south fast. Who's going to be there? How do we make sure it's going to be safe? And if you haven't done something before you could as dumb as me and my friends were in high school, ah, how hard can it be? You know, put a brick behind the tire and everything will be fine. Well, a brick on concrete will just slide a little bit, (laughs) you know? So like you can laugh about it because everyone was okay, but these JSAs you go through and you think through what you're about to do, especially if you haven't done it before. And if you've done it before, go through all of the things that seem like an instinct and follow the procedure and make sure that you're not skipping a step. You know, one of the interesting things, so woodworking being another dangerous hobby of mine, you know, one of the more interesting things is generally people who are new at the job have like a good rational fear of spinning blades and other things. It's once you've been doing it for 15 or 20 years that you have an accident because you take off the safety guard or you aren't as, you don't have that fear anymore because you've done it a million times. Yeah. And so you're actually more dangerous with some experience. And so there are some tools where it's like, I'm glad I still have a healthy fear of operating them. Yeah. So anyways, all that being said, those tools are there for you. They can really help you. And, you know, they're required for a lot of processes, but, you know, use them. And by use them, I mean, don't just do it for the sake of doing it, but pull it out, go through it, include everyone who's involved and make sure that everyone seems to have a good idea. They're not confused as the operation's going on. So, right. No, I really enjoy your examples there. So Matt, specific to the chemicals itself, when we're on locations, I mean, for those who may be not familiar with mud engineers in their responsibilities and duties, we're not the ones handling them per se, but I think it's important to discuss this just sort of generically speaking. Yeah. Well, I think one, you know, if you are somebody, let's say you're working for a drilling contractor, you have received training. It's mandated by law that you've received training about health and safety so that you understand how to protect yourself and limit your exposures. And so first and foremost, we're obviously not those trainers, but the fact is don't forget about that training that you received. You know, there's a lot of things with drilling fluid chemicals where, you know, it could be that it doesn't affect you immediately. It's not, you know, an acid that you spill and you get burned, but it could be something that if you're exposed to it over a long period of time could affect you. So one of the classic is, you know, you switch to a diesel alternative base oil that has no odor and now people stop cleaning their coveralls. And it turns out that that base oil, that it's oil-based mud, it starts actually dehydrating your skin and creating serious skin irritation where because diesel smells nasty, you're more inclined to change your coveralls if some gets spilled on you. Whereas otherwise you just have a stain and you'll wait till tower change or whatever. But that is a chronic exposure that affects you and you know it can be kind of nasty. So understanding those, the global harmonization system or GHS, so that's when we stopped calling them MSDSs and started calling them SDSs, mm-hmm. but it's a special formatting for the safety data sheets and the labels and all that. And it has these minimum PPE considerations, but it also points out things that could irritate you where, I mean, look, if you understand the product, I mean, no one should make fun of you for wearing extra PPE because you want to protect yourself more and there's more stuff available. So it'll have some of the things that you should always wear, but it might also have, you know, 
point out that this could be an irritant. Okay, well, maybe there's something else you want to put on if you're sensitive to that. So in one way, it's frustrating because it sometimes doesn't seem as specific, but it also points out just about every way that a chemical could affect you so that you could choose PPE that suits you as an individual that might be different than somebody else. So just kind of, it's the reason our product labels are so ugly is there's a minimum amount of material information we have to put on them that pretty much crowds out everything else. Right. That's fine. It's a global standard. So just kind of, you know, understand that you have access to these safe to data sheets. There's a lot of information in them. Follow your training and follow the recommendations on those, knowing you and how you might be affected. Right. And where would you find a lot of these GHS labels? So they're going to be on the products. So on the sack materials, on the chemical totes, mm-hmm. you'll see, you'll have a small logo and a product name. And then pretty much everything else is a bunch of warning codes and that sort of thing. And you can go look up more detail on the safety data sheet, which, you know, copies will be available. So it's kind of everywhere. <laughs> Perfect. No, that's good. So what about some physical considerations? I mean, we talked about chemicals and being exposed to certain, you know, fumes and dust and obviously the chemicals themselves, the product coming out of the sack, but you know, physically there's also things we need to consider as well. Yeah. I mean, so just think about all the equipment moving around. Think about somebody, you know, transferring material out of a cutting spin or forklifts, you know, sometimes trucks driving on location. I was at our liquid mud plant in Kermit last week and there had to have been 10 or 15 trucks on location at that one time. And granted, you need to look out for them. I walked close to the chemical, you know, to the pallets that were sitting out so everybody could see me. There was a clear path, but there were a lot of trucks moving around and they have a good work flow to control in and out. But you never want to take any of that for granted when there's so many, you know, moving vehicles. So, you know, they were doing fluid transfers, they were loading up flatbeds. You've just got to be aware of it. And it, I mean, the irony is that doesn't really have much to do with your job unless a truckload arrived that you got to handle, you know, where you're receiving chemical, you know, if it's casing showing up, same problem, right? right? Might not be your job, but if you're walking out to the pits, it is definitely a safety concern for you. So, you know, and then the other irony is, is as well as some of these locations are prepared, the number of times people roll ankles, just walking around in their boots, you know, how much of that can you control or not control? But especially on these big locations, I did a rig visit, by the way, as well. And <laughs> it was a five well pad, but the location was absolutely massive. If you were to walk end to end based on the amount of area they'd cleared and prepared, yeah, I mean, there could be something where you'd roll your ankle just by way of a rock, you know? So trying to pay attention to your footing, where you're stepping. And then the other ones that we all get training on, right? Pinch points, dropped objects, other places. Don't get your hand caught there, you know, wear your hard hat. And certainly as a mud engineer, there's probably not as much risk for a dropped object because you're not going to be on the rig floor, but things can still fall off of the side of the tanks, wherever. And so not only can you be vigilant for it, but be vigilant of anything loose that's sitting on the grating, any of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of physical stuff that could be going on all around you. Yeah, no, it's you always, you know, they always say, have your head on a swivel because it's just, again, especially if you're somewhat new to, you know, drilling rig operations, there's just stuff happening all the time. People are moving things on loaders and winches and all sorts of stuff. So it's, yeah, you you can't just kind of go out there with your head that, you know, staring at the ground at your boots because you're sad being away from home. You need to be alert at all times. 
And then in the environment, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to protect or need to, you know, that we're responsible for as a mud engineer, certain areas with on location that are, you know, they're ours per se. And so Matt, how would you sort of describe the environment in areas that we really need to watch out for specifically for us? I mean, I think just protecting chemical in general, right? And like, let's start with sack material. It's all palletized. You bring some by the hopper, you open it up, you, you know, some sacks get cut and go in and you're either done with it or you don't need it. And so you go put it back where the rest of the sack materials are. And we have, you know, plastic covering and that sort of thing to keep it from getting rained on to help limit, you know, the sun really getting to it. And this just not only preserves the material from it being wasted, but it limits the idea that water could get into it and something could leach out or anything like that, that you just wouldn't want to have. And, you know, it's, I was in West Texas and I was having a, you know, a beer with one of our sales guys and he was texting back and forth. He goes, sorry. He's like, it's my wife. It's raining on the other, by our house. And so she's like texting me. (laughs) <laughs> and he sort of jokes, he's like, this, this is what happens when it rains in Midland. You know, people start fall- calling each other to tell each other about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it doesn't happen often, It, but it's going to happen the time you didn't wrap up your chemical properly. You know, and then with chemical totes and that sort of thing, we don't use a lot of drums, but any of that protecting it from rust, making sure everything's closed, make sure there's nothing dripping off the end, you know, putting it in the right place when it's empty, just all that good stuff. You know, and then kind of tying into liquid mud, you know, making sure the containment's in good shape, right? You don't want to have a spill, but you really don't want to have a spill that breaches containment and requires, you know, a lot of extra work. And look, we know most of this especially involves mud transfers, right? Like we're pumping something from one tank to the next or from reserve to active. And what happens? You, The mud engineer can't be two places at once. So... How do you make sure that somebody monitors what's going into wherever it's supposed to go while somebody else is monitoring the, you know, the tank that is coming out of and everything's going where it's supposed to avoid transfers at night. Cause this usually happens at night for, well, everything, everything bad happens at night. Right. Yeah, exactly. But that's a huge source of spills and something that I think, you know, it's just hard because it's hard to get people. It's hard to get them to pay attention but it's, you know, a big risk for spills. And then the last part of the environment that I had written down was just cleaning up general housekeeping. I don't know what it is. Back in the day when I lifeguarded, my sister always told me like, trash just makes everything like dangerous and unsafe. So she was always big on picking up trash around. And it was sort of weird. Like you had more like criminal issues and that sort of thing. If there was trash everywhere, there were more kind of safety issues. And I don't know if it's just this subconscious thing where it puts out the vibe, like this is an organized place. We're going to keep it that way or what? Yeah. But I think a clean location certainly sends the message, you know, we're vigilant. We're not cutting corners. And there's between putting sack, you know, empty sacks in the, tr- you know, proper bins and plastic wrap getting where it needs to be. Yeah. Picking that stuff up before it ends in a reserve pit or in a tank or something like that. Yeah. Well, to me, it's, you know, when I was on location, to me, it's a pride thing as well. It's like, take pride in your work, take pride in your, your space. I'm a firm believer of, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so if you're going to, you know, be like tidy and clean and organized, that's a reflection of you and your work. If someone comes on location and the pallets are everywhere and there's sacks 
busted everywhere and and you're in the trailer house you know and granted like if you're busy you don't have time but generally speaking it's a reflection on you and, and who you are as someone who represents the company you work for and your and your reputation for that matter and, and some people it doesn't you know they overlook it some people don't but to me i think that's really important you know it's keeping things tidy and that goes for your mud lab too yeah you know i was always you know again like i know there's times where you're tired and you're busy and you do a mud check and you kind of do a haphazard job of getting your mud equipment clean but for the most part it was like you know i tried my best to make sure it was clean and tidy and and then that way, when it came time to relieve time, it was just a quick wipe here and there and away you go uh, instead of, you know, having to do spend, you know, hours trying to make sure everything's clean and tidy for your relief. But again, I, I think that's a big, you know, I think that's really important. And, and two is this, you never know who's going to roll up on location. If all of a sudden you've got folks from the office, from the operator side, come on location and, you know, they see the backyard, anything to do with the drilling fluids the product or, or anything that's sort of that we're responsible for and it's clean and it's tidy and everything's nicely wrapped up and covered. They're going to say, wow, this drilling fluids company really takes pride and takes, you know, takes ownership of who they are and what they do. And, and that makes a big difference. You know what I mean? And then they can relay that back to the people in the office. Hey, I went on location and wow, you know, they had everything so neat and tidy. And I went and visited the mud engineer and his lab was you know, it was nice and clean and organized and you could tell he really took care of his business or her business. And I think that just goes a long ways. Absolutely. I mean, it's one thing for your field soup or your account manager to say something to you. If it's the customer or, you know, the tool pusher or something like that. I mean, if they know you're not doing something to the best of your ability, what else is going on? Right. right. And so it's just, it's one of those, it's not just safety, it's professionalism, it's all the above. And it's just very difficult. And I'll say like the rig I went on, you know, I don't think they let the mud engineer know I was coming. I just sort of turned up, but the location was really neat. Even I think the account manager is pretty happy. Just the things were orderly and it was okay. I don't have to breathe down your neck, but these things do matter. And, you know, especially when you're drilling a bunch of wells batch, it's, everybody's busy making a bunch of volume, all this other stuff, you know, it is professionalism and this somebody out of our Houston office, I'm, you know, I'm pleased to see it. And if I wouldn't have seen it, I would have been pretty upset, I think. Yeah. No, so. it's all about holding yourself to a high standard, right? Because we try and do that on a daily basis. What about some other stuff? There's a few you know, pieces that sometimes get overlooked, but I think are worth talking about too. We've already talked about how there's a lot of new inexperienced folks and where we can play a role to help them. And I think that comes down to ownership, right? They say, look, you're in charge of safety. You can stop the job. Like we know those things, but really being engaged with those, I think, I mean, you talked about, you would usually try and attend both pre-tower meetings, right? And I would try and do the same thing just to understand not only operationally what's going on, but how that affects how I can operate more safely. How can I be out of other people's way? How can I, you know, how can we all plan our business so that there's as few people in the firing line as possible to make things, you know, go well and, and not only that, but I think there's aspects of it where sometimes that's easy when you're fresh from days off. But, you know, when you're th like you said, it's easier to keep things clean and not go through that mad rush of trying to have things ready for your relief. There's a lot of stuff on day 13 ish where, you know, you're going to be mentally fatigued and you're going to have to push through understanding that like this is a priority. And we've even talked about just there are some rough nights. There's not everything goes perfect on a rig. If you're on losses, you know, speaking up when you're tired, getting the help you need to make sure you can get rest. Or if you see some things in yourself, we are like, I can't push it. Right. 
So that, and then look between fatigue, cause I think we're all pretty tired right now because we're working hard. It's hot in a lot of the places we work. And like, even if we make fun of like the Northeast people right now, cause they're like, Oh my gosh, it's 85 degrees and humid. And you know, the West Texas guys are like, well, it got up to 115. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot for the environment. Right. And so it means keep that in mind and guess what? It's going to get cold and you know, taking care of yourself under some of those circumstances. Yeah. Did you ever have a routine up in the tundra of Canada? Did you have a routine to stay warm when it got cold? I never was a mud engineer in Canada. So you were a motor hand, right? Yeah. That's where I got towards the end, but it was more so just keep moving. I mean, cause you're outside for 12 hours a day. You may get a few minutes here and there to warm up. But again, for me as, as a rig hand, it was just keep moving. And so you know, bundle up as hard as, as much as you can. And the one thing too, was you never want is if you were hot and sweating, it was easy to think, well, I just need to like take some layers off. But once you did that and you stopped moving for more than a minute, then all of a sudden you would freeze. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if it's cold, I think it just really is just keep moving and keep the blood flowing. That was really it. That was always the intent. And then if you could find a steam heater somewhere to warm up for a couple of seconds or put your hands on the pipes to warm them up if your hands were freezing, which, you know, hopefully not too long because you could usually burn yourself. But back then when you were just trying to find anything to, to stay warm, that was pretty much it. I mean, there was, you know, there were some things too you could do with, they call them bomba socks. I don't know if they have them down here, but there were these like insulated booties that you would use on top of your socks. It was crazy because and you would wear these rubber Dunlap boots or Dunlop boots. And if you wore just regular socks, your feet would sweat and it would, but it was get cold. And so it was miserable, but it was crazy because you could wear socks and put these Bama socks over them and your socks would be soaked, but the Bama socks would stay dry. So your feet would still stay warm. Huh. So there was like kind of a layering system that you would do to keep your feet warm. Cause when you're walking around snow and you know, minus 30 all day, your feet are going to get really cold. And so it's not like you can put your feet up to a heater because you've got boots on. And so it just take forever. But anyway, like those little type of things. Yeah. Those are some of the things that I guess come back to memory. Well, and it's interesting with that, like, you know, keeping an eye moving around, like you said, you know, and sort of cold, no, you know, how you know about it. And then like, you know, one of the challenges is you don't want to look like you're cooling off for too long. Right. Like there's that sort of, I need to be seen walking around the rig and that sort of thing. And cold, it's one of those, like, seldom is the answer, just stay inside. But there are certain measures you want to take to, like, arrange your work or whatever, where you can warm up periodically and same thing, cool down. You know, when I, especially working on rigs, when I was on a rig in East Texas, I'd go out of my way to, like, drink a bottle of water at least every hour, just, like, because I'm one of those people that would forget about it for a while. And so I would just like, as a routine, always empty one yeah, an hour just to make sure I didn't forget where if I was like, just make sure you drink five today, I would, I would have forgotten. So like staying on top of that. And then the other part, it was just having this routine where it's like, okay, I'm going to come inside and cool off for 20 minutes, like update my report or whatever. And then I'm going to go walk around, but I'm going to set a timer for how long I walk around unless something comes up and just always move around like you were saying except for always move from like inside to cool off so i'm never exposed for too long but heat is a little bit harder because i think a lot of people feel like they're expected to be outside 
on the pits and and look you if you're doing a good job you're going to be out there but making sure you don't overdo it one way or another matters yeah you know again canada it doesn't get quite like the temperatures it does down here but it's it's hard to escape the heat a lot of times and you know as a rig hand working in you know 100 degree weather i i could just imagine it got to you know probably in the hot, mid 90s up north but it's it's dry heat and so if you're in the shade you can kind of hide from it a little bit but yeah it's and you do you hear especially down here is just like a lot of operators and service companies really make an effort to either have water stations or little even cooling stations or place where folks can cool off and i remember you know I'm sure over time it's gotten better, but even just being involved with different operations meetings now it's in during those, the winter or summer times, people are making like announcing to their people like, Hey, if you feel hot or if you feel like you need to cool off, don't try and be a hero and stay out and outside for too long. Cause it's just not worth it. And we want you to be able to work all day, but we also need to make sure that you can last all day too. And so, yeah, that's a big one and dehydration and, you know, especially when the whole energy drink, craze came along is, you know, if you start drinking a bunch of caffeine, you know, that's a diuretic, meaning it's going to dehydrate you. And so if you're crushing energy drinks all day, thinking that you're staying hydrated, that could just compound (laughs) into you feeling not so hot. So anyway, but yeah, hydration, all that stuff, that's, it's extremely important and cold weather too. I mean, you know, even in down here in Texas, it can get pretty chilly, especially if the wind's blowing hard out in the Permian there, some folks can't, it's tough. So that's a big one. Yeah. And I think the irony of talking about just some of that exposure stuff is I think we're all heavily trained to look out for the obvious stuff, right? The wearing gloves and wearing our boots and our safety glasses. And yes, those are all really important, but we overlook drinking water or doing other really basic things for ourselves. And so, you know, those incidents, I don't know, from a frequency and severity perspective where they lie, but we just, we know, as we hear about all this activity this summer, the number of heat incidents and close calls rig personnel have had because our customers have shared like, Hey, take care of your people, remind them that this is our priority. Just goes back to don't overlook anything. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Matt. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit and I'm sure folks out there could likely add to it, Matt, but any closing last words or any final thoughts on the whole safety topic? I mean, it sounds cliche, but like we can't go to work if we can't do it safely. Right. And so the big question when like, don't, we need to be extra aware that if we can't do it safely, we shouldn't be doing the job in the same way that there's a lot of things that are showstoppers before you ever cut a sack or, you know, turn the pipe. And so let's make sure that we cover our bases because it's not impossible. And then we can get down to drilling. Right. No, that's exactly. Well, if anyone out there has any thoughts or wants us to elaborate or, you know, just has any experience on any of the things we talked about today, please reach out to us. You can find us on LinkedIn or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. As always, please like, share, and if you could leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to, that would be phenomenal. And with that said, of course, everyone be safe out there. Have a wonderful rest of the summer. Until next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.